as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Impala Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Board as Hell podcast. I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot. And I am Andy Wilson, aka Citizen Bot, also a Big Shiny Robot. And we got three movies to talk to you about this week. Uh, they kind of run the gamut from chef's movies to political films. Um, yeah, you'll you'll hear what we have to say in a second. Um, neither one of us got to see Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. I know I was really excited for it. Um, I had to work. You know, things happen sometimes. Uh, it's getting really, really mixed okay reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. But our good friend Brooks Bird, who was on here a couple episodes ago when we did The Martian, he loved it. He thought it was fantastic. So... If you want to read a positive review, go check him out over at The Real Cinder Nerd or also The Real Place, um, Facebook, online, wherever else. But Andy, the one you got to see that I wanted to because I'm a huge cooking slash Gordon Ramsay fan and I have no idea if it actually was a, in that kind of vein of things was Burnt. So what, what was Burnt about for him? So, well, Burnt, you know, you mentioned Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay actually served as the chef consultant for this movie. Oh, good. So it it's essentially Bradley Cooper playing a Gordon Ramsay type character. Brilliant, driven chef, uh, maybe kind of an a-hole, um, but because he's so exacting and demanding, uh, he doesn't put up with uh, the shortcomings of other people around him, which of course leads him to being kind of a jerk to people. So if you've um, seen like Hell's Kitchen... Yeah, and and that is both a good side and a bad side to this movie. The shortest review I can give to this is if I'd have spent two hours watching two episodes of Hell's Kitchen, I would have had a better time, would have been more entertaining than this. But this movie is not without merit itself. So Bradley Cooper is playing uh, this chef, Adam Jones, who was once at the top of the Paris food scene. And uh, he had risen to the top. He worked at a restaurant that had been given two very prestigious Michelin stars. As one of the other characters in this film explains, to get one star, you need to be Luke Skywalker. Two, you're Obi-Wan Kenobi. And if you get that third elusive one, uh, you're Yoda. So he's really driven. He wanted. He really wanted to get that third star. It never happened. And in a drug-fueled meltdown. He betrayed everyone around him. They lost their restaurant, and he went into rehab and obscurity uh, in hiding to try and come back and make a comeback. So here he is several years later, and he comes back to London and tries to put the band back together and tries to open a restaurant in his former Mater D's uh, restaurant and uh, go after that third Michelin star. It gets really predictable from there on out. Um, Enemies become friends. Friends become enemies. The protege and the main guy have a romantic affair. It's really kind of by the books and and by the numbers. And the real Mm -hmm. problem is this movie ends up being very much like the food that they are creating. It's very fussy. It's very overwrought. And... In the end, I think not hugely satisfying and not a great value for uh, your dinner-going dollar or your movie-going dollar. 
the biggest problem I have with this, this is a movie about food and about being a chef. And there was nary a bit of food porn in here. Uh, oh, see, that makes me sad because I know you were talking about the, um, what was it? It was a chef yeah. the movie couple. Yeah. And about how there's so much, the movie is food porn. I think you even said, isn't the credits like the most mouthwatering way of watching someone make a grilled cheese sandwich or something? Yeah. It's yeah. absolutely ridiculous. And the, but this movie is, it's very clinical. It's very exacting. And his whole idea behind making food is about making people kind of suffer and, and longing. And he said, anybody can make a restaurant full of people uh, hungry. I want to make people be filled with longing. And it's like, whoa, yeah, that's a... That's, that's a, not what a restaurant does, dude. <laughs> over the top. Uh, it's like, okay, I can see where he's going, but they never quite reach there. But the movie plays out in a relatively predictable fashion. Bradley Cooper's good. Sienna Miller's good. Everyone in this movie is good. There's nothing really terrible about it. But at the end, I again, if this movie were a meal uh, and I went out to like a five-star restaurant to try this, I'd walk away feeling like, uh, you know, I probably would have had just as good of a meal at an Applebee's. Yeah, so, you know, if you've ever had, like, a fine dining experience that's kind of like that, I kind of feel that's how burnt is. So I ended up at 4 out of 10. It's not terrible, but it's it's nothing great. And in the season where we're getting into prestige pictures and Oscar bait, uh, this just doesn't quite measure up. You know, it's kind of funny the way you described that. Um, It's almost, so there was a, I think we even talked about it, there was a really cool Netflix documentary series called Chef's Table, which was directed and or produced by the same guy who did Jiro Jeans of Sushi, which is to this day one of my favorite documentaries of all time. It's, it's fantastic. I think it's all on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. Um, but the whole point of this documentary series was, first of all, getting to know the chefs and getting to find out where their culinary heart came from. You know, well, why do you make food? You know, why is food important to you? Uh, and it was really cool to see these people who are some of the most well-renowned Maybe not the most famous. They're not the Gordon Ramsays or the Chef Miyamoto of the of the world, but they're the ones who are doing the, the craziest, the most unique things from farm to table to literally giving you artwork that you're eating. I mean, one of them was they gave you like a it was like a map of a country, and when you went inside, there were farms and there were this and that, and it was actually was food you could eat. It was gorgeous just to watch and to see these people, you know, the exact opposite of this character saying, you know, foods from the heart. Food's there to nourish you. Food is there to be an experience. It almost sounds like that they kind of took the approach of, like, the culinary school take on this movie is that let's teach you the dried bits of, like, how to cut an onion. No one cares how you cut the onion. They care about how you present it. And it almost seems, from what you're saying, that this movie was more more in tune and cared more about the the down-to-the-bolts technique of this and that and didn't really care from the food side and the filmmaking side as far as what the audience felt. Yeah, it, it just it isn't really satisfying. It's like anytime they really... It, and it's funny, they really tried to say something about the state of gourmet cooking now and how everything is prepared in these water baths, in uh, in these... Oh, vide, yeah. And, you know, the, the very high uh, culinary... Or what's it called? Like chemical gastronomy or... Gastronomy. Yeah. yeah, like I see these people doing these crazy things 
on Iron Chef and things like that. And I'm just amazed. And they're like, no, no, no. Let's get back to basics and just do, oh, none of that crazy stuff. Let's just do the normal fussy French cuisine. And I'm just like, that's not getting back to basics. Like, go watch Ratatouille. Like, that's getting, like, a back to basics. And it's really funny, you know, we mentioned, I, I joked about Gordon Ramsay at the beginning, not knowing his input on this movie. I, I've been a huge Gordon Ramsay fan since, God, for like a decade now. Um, not just because he's entertaining as hell, like on Kitchen Nightmares and Hell's Kitchen and, and Master Chef, but he actually is a, a decent chef. And I've tried to incorporate some of his recipes into my normal cooking dish. And if you ever ask my husband, Eddie, or our good friend, Jeremiah, they're probably getting fat based off the food I make because I'm a huge I love to cook, love it to death. But I, it's almost funny that Gordon Ramsay was involved because his whole cooking thing, I mean, yes, he was a classically trained French chef, is that it's about the simple, basic foods and what you can do to take the best ingredients and make them shine and make them the star of the dish. Um, this is one of my favorite meals I've made based off his recipes have all of like four ingredients aside from spices. You know, it sounds like, it's just frustrating to think that he would be involved in something that kind of missed the point of his whole idea of what he thinks food should be. So, yeah. And maybe maybe I took the wrong message away from this, but I just, I felt like he was more angry than he was. He was more troubled than he was a genius. Yeah. And then that's, and that works in certain circumstances, but if you're going to have a whole movie about someone who is quote unquote, this genius, that that genius needs to shine through more than their being an a-hole. Exactly. Speaking of another movie that I think both of you was a bit underwhelming um, was Our Brand is Crisis, which is the newest film uh, starring Sandra Bullock and Billy Bob Thornton. Sandra Bullock is playing Jane Bodine, otherwise known as Calamity Jane. She was a retired political consultant uh, in U.S. politics. Uh, She quit because it was bad for her health. She was not feeling well. She was smoking too much, drinking too much, you know, doing all the things that I'm pretty sure we both agree that someone with that much stress in their life would probably, you know, get involved with. Well, she gets approached and dragged out of retirement to help out a struggling right-wing Bolivian politician named Pedro Gallo, who's played by Joaquin de Amadea. Um, He's behind the polls over, I think, over 30 points. He had been the president of Bolivia for a while, years before, and was very unpopular got voted out very quickly, and so he's looking for a new way to shape his campaign to win. Going against very popular leftist, um, somewhat socialist uh, uh, president, campaigner, who is being uh, re- represented by Billy Bob Thornton, who plays Pat Candy, who's always been James' nemesis. Uh, in every single campaign she went up against him, he beat her all four times. So she's been kind of down and out. She's in Bolivia. She's getting used to the altitude difference. You know, she's kind of out of it. And, you know, just kind of sitting there watching. And the presidential campaign is like, well, why is she here? What is she doing? She's doing nothing. She's sitting there. She's watching us. And all of a sudden, she just snaps. She's like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to say, Bolivia is in a state of crisis. So your campaign, your brand, here comes the movie title, is Crisis. So he goes out on the campaign trail and proves that, yes, he's unlikable, yes, he's kind of mean, yes, he can be a bit violent sometimes, but that's the candidate that Bolivia needs because it's going to hell in a handbasket, and she's the only one, he's the only one who can help solve things. Um, And she's almost doing it, not so much, obviously she doesn't believe in the candidate, 
it's more to prove she can do this. It's more to prove that she can beat uh, Pat Candy, Billy Bob Thornton, and you know eventually win this election. And when she does win the election, spoiler alert, because no one went and saw this, no one will. Um, she realizes that oh crap, I might have done the wrong thing, and maybe need to switch gears and do something different with my political activism. So. Uh, this movie is based very loosely on a 2000, I believe, five or just one documentary. Yeah. 2005 documentary of the same name, Our Brandon's Crisis. Uh, here's my biggest problem with this. It was, there were parts of this movie that were very, very entertaining. Um, it had some very whip-smart dialogue every so often. But at the same time, it'd be really smart, really funny. And then the next scene would be overly dramatic. And then it'd be smart, smart, funny, funny, funny. Dramatic, dramatic, dramatic. Um, Anthony Mackie co-stars as her, one of her uh, you know, campaigners, and he he's a good actor. He does a good job, but he he just wasted his character. Feels like he's there just as a prop. In fact, everyone except for Sandra Bullock and Billy Bob Thornton feel like they're just there to pad the cast because this is very much their movie. Um, they're both really good at what they do, but uh, there's just there's so much lacking. Uh, you know. At the end of the movie, I was like, I didn't care who won. I didn't care what she did with her life. I didn't care if this was based on a true story. Um, I just didn't care. And it's really hard to be excited or recommend a movie where that level of apathy is all you come out of it with. Yeah. Anthony Mackie, I thought was great, but he was so over-earnest. Okay, personal confession time. Um, what feels like a lifetime ago, I actually worked as a political consultant for several years. Uh, doing polling um, for several people who were governors, presidential candidates, senators, people who you've heard of. Um, doesn't matter who they were, but let's just say... It was so. George Bush. No, several of them <laughs> had big sex scandals between 2008 and 2009, so... Yeah, ask me about that sometime if you ever run into me. Anyway, um, but... The, you know, I thought I was naive and earnest and like, oh, I'm the good guy and I'm in this for all the right reasons because democracy is awesome. And yeah, Anthony Mackie like takes it a step higher than I ever would have. Um, and I'm just like, you know, I know this is supposed to be a movie and there's supposed to be characters, but there's no one like that in the world of campaigns. Not only that, but the best thing about politics it's fun it's a contact sport for nerds and we love it like it's just a great high and at its best it's a lot of work but it's a lot of fun and it's it's almost like an adrenaline junkie sort of thing and that's why people do this work and when you have a movie based on true events with larger than life characters like james carville uh, who was one of these political consultants who was in the original Our Brand is Crisis in 2005 in the uh, 2002 Bolivian elections. When you have characters like that and they're shrunk down to these um, kind of two-dimensional characters, it just feels unreal. And I think that was the real failing of this movie. I really wanted a lot more of super smarmy Billy Bob Thornton. I thought... He was great, but... Oh, yeah, the scenes between him and uh, Sandra Bullock, they're so much fun. I mean, the, the one that just got me laughing uproariously was they're sitting there before the final debate, before the 
uh, before the election. And she's and they're kind of reminiscing because as much as they're enemies, they're kind of frenemies. That they're kind of pushing each other, and you can't tell if there's some kind of like subdued sexual tension there. I mean, who knows? In fact, Billy Bob Thornton makes a pretty hilarious joke about that, which I won't repeat here. Um, but she makes it, she says a quote to him and attributes it to some philosopher. And then knowing that he was going to give his, um, the coalition he was representing the same quote. And so he says it on this huge TV thing. And immediately afterwards, she goes and leaks out the fact that he just gave a quote by Joseph Goebbels, who was, you know, the horrendous Nazi experimenter bastard, pretty much. And it was just, we all sat there and we laughed uproariously. Like even one of our most jaded film critics I've ever known laughed his ass off because it was hilarious. And it was a great moment. It's just, there weren't enough of those moments to sustain it through the whole movie. Exactly. And that's exactly what this, what this needed. And, you know, that like momentary, oh, dear God, what have I done? And, oh, everything's so horrible and I need to change my life realization at the end. It was just like, Aah! we bring the movie to a grinding halt right at the end and change gears. And as I walked out, I was like, you know, this movie was okay and it had me until those last five minutes. And then I'm just like, nope, nope. I was giving you the benefit of the doubt. Oh yeah, that last, the last scene where spoiler alert she has a conscious uh crisis of conscience and gets out of the bus and starts walking with the protesters i'm like no nope it's it was i i i really wanted to like it more um especially when we had this great dialogue with steve jobs and this one tried it's like it's like diet caffeine free steve jobs dialogue ah yes that's the best way i could say it so i ended up at oh god i'm i'm at 3.5 i i wanted to go four but the more I think about it, the more it just irks me. And it more irks me because not just that there was contrite dialogue and it didn't know what it wanted to do, but because there was such really great play between Billy Bob Thornton and Sandra Bullock, and they're both great in this. It's just, it was a waste of their talent to be in a movie that didn't know what it wanted to do. Yeah, and I think this movie was tailor-made for someone like me, and I should have loved it the same way that Steve Jobs was tailor-made for me. And when you don't even have my respect and my love, um, yeah, this is a 5 out of 10 for me. So, uh, yeah, your mileage may vary, but I yeah. lots of people liking this. So, and then what was the what was the third movie again? Because, again, this is one that didn't even screen for us. So I didn't even know what it was about. Yeah, so this is, uh, this is called Truth. Uh, and, man, with a, as lofty a title as Truth, and it be uh, real life <laughs> events that are only about a decade old and larger than life figures like Dan Rather, you better bring it. This movie does not bring it. And, uh, you know, again, this is prestige season. This is Oscar season. And it's terrible to see these movies that had a lot of potential being brought out and then just kind of flop all over the place. Uh, I think that's a common theme amongst all three of these movies is they're just kind of boring and don't bring it to the level of where they needed to be. Um, That being said, uh, the cast here is pretty good. Um, Kate Blanchett plays uh, Mary Mapes, who is a producer at 60 Minutes, uh, a real-life person, and as the beginning of the film shows, she's the one who broke the story on Abu Ghraib and Prisoner Abuse. 
and uh, a lot of other things. Very well known in the TV journalism world. And so coming out after Abu Ghraib says, you know, there's a story back from 2000 that we never got to really investigate. And it was all of these rumors about George W. Bush and his time in uh, the Texas Air National Guard. And I think he's a draft dodger. And I'm going to put together a team and we're going to go out and prove it. And so uh, she bring, she's aided in this, of course, by Dan Rather, played here by Robert Redford. And here is the first biggest problem of this movie. As big and iconic as Dan Rather is, I would argue Robert Redford is far more iconic. And it's so hard to take someone like Robert Redford and sit and watch him for an hour and a half Mm -hmm. and and believe, yeah, that's Dan Rather. He tries to bring it. He's got this, he, he brings that like great genteel Southern charm and a little bit of that Texas uh, buttermilk flavored twang in, but it's, it's not quite there. And he never quite settles into the role the same way that we've seen like Michael Fassbender as Steve Jobs. And that's the difference between a great iconic performance and just kind of a meh performance. And and that's where we are here. Uh, great supporting cast, though. Dennis Quaid, Topher Grace, Elizabeth Moss all play uh, three other reporters uh, working with them to try and bring in this story. And Bruce Greenwood plays the head of CBS. Um, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes intrigue of what happens And I think that this story is actually utterly fascinating about exactly what happened, uh, the documents that they were able to find uh, that they believe showed that uh, a young Lieutenant Bush was absent without leave from the Texas Mm -hmm. Air National Guard for as as much as a year or two, and kind of the huge backlash that this reporting brought on. And then it became all about the documents. And how these documents couldn't have been made uh, the way that they said that they were. Uh, They actually show, yes, they could have. They show, uh, to a great extent, these documents were likely true. Hence the name, Truth. But um, because this huge controversy came up, uh, it became about Dan Rather and CBS News' journalistic ethics. Uh, rather than uh, a presidential candidate and uh, and his time as a young man. So that is an is kind of a different is an injustice on a different level. Uh, but it's how politics are played. I mean, we just got done talking about being a political consultant and yeah. that's exactly how masters like Carl Rove play it. And um, they did a they did a great job doing that in the news and they took down Dan Rather and they took down Mary Mapes and we're supposed to feel sorry for them. And you know what? I just don't. Oh, and by the way, just so everyone wanted to know, um, as portrayed on American Dad, it is true that if Carl Rove walks into a church, he bursts into flames. So <laughs> It is true. <laughs> sorry, that was too and from, what, and from what I'm getting now is like, you guys all will get a better sense of enjoyment out of that lame-ass joke than you would out of this movie. <laughs> it, that, that is true. And this is just boring. These events deserve better. Dan Rather, the person, deserves better. Mary Mapes, the person, deserves better. 
and this film deserved better. Uh, this is just like a very bad telling of these events, and uh, yeah, and again, kind of boring. Three and a half out of ten. Oh wow! So uh, yeah, so we <clears throat> unfortunately this week we've given you three kind of bad movies, two bad political ones, and <clears throat> one bad culinary one, but. Uh, we challenged ourselves for our recommendation this week, literally 20 minutes ago. <laughs> um, just think of some good movies that are in this same vein of political slash or <clears throat> uh, culinary film. So I immediately, before even like we finished the conversation, thought of Wag the Dog, uh, which was a movie back in 1997. It was directed by Barry Levinson, who actually directed Rock the Caswell, which we talked about and hated on last week. Um, this is actually one of his good movies. So for those not familiar, I'm not going to go too in-depth for the script but, or the story, but uh, basically two weeks before Election Day, the president is uh, – the media finds out the president may have been involved with or has been – you know, made some advances on an underage girl. And so they hire a spin doctor, played by Robert De Niro, to come in and be like, look, you've got to make this go away. The election's in two weeks. The president has to win re-election. So he hires a Hollywood producer, played by – uh, Dennis Hoffman, or excuse me, Dustin Hoffman, Dustin, Dennis Hoffman, Dustin Hoffman, uh, to come in and basically create a fake war, complete with, you know, a bomb, they bombed, they tended to bomb Albania, they got an orphan played by Kirsten Dunst to come in and be like, oh no, my, my homeland, and played it out on the news to fully distract, you know, in a sense, you know, instead of wagging the tail, you wag the dog, there's a title, distract the media and the American people from what actually happened. Uh, just to so they put him back in office because hey you don't want to kick the president out in wartime you know that's, that'd be horrible. In the meantime, the CIA is trying to figure out what happened, and William, William H Macy is a CIA agent trying to you know figure out this war. But they have no intelligence about this. They're seeing what's in the news, like what the hell is going on? Come to find out, they learn what's going on. So they say okay, we won't say anything, but you got to shut this down. So they do, and then everyone starts sniffing around to the, the sex scandal again. So again, Robert De Niro steps in, has Dustin Hoffman invent, there's this wounded war hero who was left behind the scenes and we need to get him now and blah, blah, blah. And, oh, <laughs> it, it, and Woody Harrelson's playing him, who ends up being a bat sock, crazy army prison. Oh, it's, it's a really, really black, dark comedy. But at the same time, it's really funny. It's incredibly well written and directed. And it came out in theaters like a month before the whole Monica Lewinsky thing happened. And, of course, right after that happened, we bombed Sudan. Iraq. So everyone... Huh? I think in Iraq, too. Didn't we bomb Saddam Hussein at the, that same time? No, because this was, this was after Desert. Well, anyways, we, 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 started, our, we, started, we started our own war. And everyone was like, uh, we just saw this played out on the movies. What the hell is going on here, you know, Mr. Clinton? And so it was... If you want to see a great political spin slash, you know, shows political hacks and how the the system is rigged to really distract us via the media, except for us, of course, with the good media, um, from what's actually happening in real life. Wag the Dog is hilarious. Um, I watched it with my mom, and my mom hates R-rated movies, and she loved it more than I did. So I can't recommend it enough. It's funny. It's well-written. Uh, and even nowadays, it still holds true the distraction we get from pop culture based on what's actually happening in the media. I mean, Donald Trump is a distraction. It's not the issue of what's going on for the Republican or the Democratic Party. And I'm sorry if you like him, but you're wrong. What are you talking about, Adam? Donald Trump is the greatest, best 
Republican candidate for president ever. Look, if you if you're gonna vote for Donald Trump, just just stop. Uh, <laughs> go to your ballot. Okay, you're, you're gonna write in now. You're gonna write in for president Adam McDonald and vice president the Badger because my pug will be a better vice president than he can be president. That's all. That is true. Um, speaking of the Clintons, and also speaking of Billy Bob Thornton, um, one of the first movies. Look at us. We're getting good at this. Yeah, uh, that that popped into my head when we were talking about uh, other better movies about political consultants uh, is also from that same era, uh, 1998's Primary Colors, directed by Mike Nichols. And uh, this was based on a novel that was originally published uh, uh, by Anonymous. And for years and years and years, everyone said, well, who is Anonymous? And no one would say. Turned out it was Time reporter Joe Klein. Uh, who had been inside the Clinton campaign uh, during 1992. And so this is kind of his semi-fictionalized version of what that was like. Um, and John Travolta plays Governor Jack Stanton, and Emma Thompson plays his wife, Susan Stanton, who are, of course, Bill and Hillary Clinton. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton plays a thinly-veiled reference to James Carville, uh, and Maura Tierney uh, plays a thinly veiled version of uh, George Stephanopoulos, which, first of all, brilliant turning George Stephanopoulos into a woman. I, I just always celebrated the irony of that. I, that's great. Um, and there are a lot of shenanigans that happened during the 1992 presidential campaign. Uh, another kind of um, side movie to watch at the same time with this uh, would be D.A. Pennybaker's um, The War Room, a great documentary about what actually happened uh, with the 1992 presidential campaign and those uh, those same three political consultants. Um, so it's very interesting to sit there and watch uh, the truth and uh, the fictionalized version. The fictionalized version, way more entertaining. Um, just Travolta has so much fun here. Uh, playing this, oh shucks, Southern governor, and he goes around <laughs> and all of his rallies, he's he's like, and now I want to play my favorite tune ever played or ever written by a Southern governor. You are my sunshine, and so all of his rallies have "You are my sunshine" playing with him. It's like, oh, that's so genius. It's so <laughs> so beautiful. Um, Emma Thompson is. She's amazing and she's heartbreaking here as, uh, of course, we, well, I won't say we all remember because this is pretty obscure at this point. But during the 1992 campaign, all of these things started coming out about Governor Clinton and, Clinton and allegations about sexual harassment and affairs and how she finds out about these and um, the lengths the campaign goes to discredit uh, these women or pay them off. Um, you know, Emma Thompson is just, it's just heartbreaking, her performance here, and you find so much pathos for her, um, which don't, don't go in thinking about her performance as Hillary Clinton, um, because Hillary is very polarizing in and of herself, but just go in and watch that performance for the sake of Emma Thompson's performance. It's just absolutely beautiful. Um, and of course, 
like I said, Billy Bob Thornton and Maura Tierney. Uh, it's it's great. They and one of the other uh, political consultants, played by Adrian Lester, uh, the campaigns in such financial dire straits that all three of them have to share a bed everywhere they go. Uh, it's just it's really funny the rapport that they have in there. Uh, oh, and Kathy Bates is another um, political consultant that they bring in, who also has a. Um, a very interesting and tragic turn near the end that uh, unless you know a lot, um, you will not see coming. So uh, primary colors, um, it's probably more of probably more true than truth uh, and definitely uh, more political consultancy and Billy Bob Thornton-y than our brand is crisis. Oops, sorry everyone, we lost Adam's mic there and it suddenly got all loud and echoey. So uh, we were mostly done, but I will just go ahead and wrap up and tell you what movies we've got next week. First, we've got The Peanuts Movie. Really excited about that, based on the Charles Schultz comics and everyone's favorite holiday specials. Uh, Looking forward to that. Uh, Completely opposite of that, we have Spectre, the next James Bond film, uh, everyone's favorite spy coming out, and opposite that, of course, Suffragette, the movie about the English suffrage movement uh, to get women the right to vote. Interesting, we're putting up a strong feminist movie against our very, very favorite misogynist spy, uh, James Bond. Um, We'll talk about all of those next week. Also, keep a lookout on Big Shiny Robot and on the Board is Hell website Uh, later this week. I'm going to do a wrap-up this year of why 2015 is the year of the spy, celebrating Spectre before it comes out. Uh, But until then, Adam. Hail Satan, and have a lovely afternoon. Punk ass tripping, but it's alright. Homie scored a key, he's gonna fly. Punk ass fly.